We're live awesome. with Ed Hahn. Ed, I am so glad to have you here. I got to tell you, I don't want to embarrass you. Okay. But I got to tell you, you're one of like the nicest guys Aww. on the internet. I mean, most people, when you go online, they're kind of jerky. And I got to tell you, every post you make, every comment, you're just so respectful. You're so positive. You're so, you know, sharing and giving. I mean, is that, is that like the cynical New Yorker me? Is that like sure. the, 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 the shtick you're doing or is you're just a genuine, <laughs> genuine, nice person? Well, you know, I, I always get anxious when people say, no, I'm a nice guy, right? Yeah. That, that always makes me a little bit <laughs> suspicious because I grew up in North Jersey. So I get a little bit of the cynicism, right? Right. Um, uh, I'll tell you what. Here's yes. the thing that I, years ago, earlier in my career, uh, I, I worked for a startup that was later acquired by what was then a division of Morgan Stanley. Mm -hmm. When we were onboarded, right? The HR folks who talked us through our new employee orientation talked to us about social media, right? And, you know, Morgan Stanley, an enormous brand, obviously, tens mm -hmm. of thousands of people, global footprint, everyone knows that brand. And she said, look, at the end of the day, if you're going to post something on social media, I want you to think, is this something that you'd be okay with imagining directors seeing on the front page of the New York yeah. Times. And this is really solid advice. This is excellent advice. Um, and so, look, you know, I have some not so nice thoughts like everyone does. <laughs> I find that hard to believe. I doubt it, but all right. Oh, anyway. Um, There's a dark side to Ed. That. Okay, we got that. That'll be another LinkedIn Live. We've got the dark <laughs> side of Ed Hodd. Um, okay. But I... <laughs> I find that generally speaking, and, and there's two experiences early in my career that that really informed this. That was one. And the other one, though, is I spent a couple of years, I spent about a year or so as a customer service rep at ETS. Mm -hmm. um, and I was doing that work and in the training for it, and look, I was naturally just a very shy and introverted person back in those days. Uh, but during the training, one of the things the trainer said that really made an impact is that, look, people don't call customer service because they're having a good day, right? You know, you don't call the mechanic because your car's running fine. <laughs> um, but people want to be heard. And if they feel they're being heard, then you're able to move the conversation in a productive direction. And that matters a lot to me, you know? If I disagree with somebody, with something they said online, right? I'll say, well, I have a different perspective on that, mm -hmm. right? I don't go at them and say, no, you're wrong, you dunderhead, because that would not be a product. Because what does that do? All it does is it, it escalates the situation. It puts that person on the defensive, and they're going to respond in a way that probably doesn't speak to whatever their original thought process was, right? I take, it takes a, a, an interaction into an intrinsically hostile uh, zero-sum direction. I don't so, love zero-sum games. Yeah. So it sounds like, Ed, that early training you had mm -hmm. really, I would imagine, helps you tremendously with recruiting because right. as an internal recruiter, corporate recruiter for the last 10 plus years, um, you know, dealing with 
the feelings of, of job seekers, that's a right. big part of it because oftentimes job seekers look at recruiters like the bad guys and bad women right. who are standing in the way. Mm -hmm. And someone like yourself internally needs to explain empathetically. Sometimes I know that you went on 10 interviews with 20 people right. and I'm sorry, you're not getting the offer. And you have you, you know, you, you have to have that empathy and compassion. Otherwise you you're going to have someone who's going to hate your organization and you forever. Right. You know, one, I think it's really, I do, I do want to clarify one thing, Jack. Mm -hmm. I actually did. I began my recruiting career on the corporate side, but okay. I did spend a couple of years on an agent in the, in, in agency life. Oh, great. Great. So, so I have insight into what that world is like. Right. Right. Um, but no, you're right. Um, one of the things that I think is really important is that I have consistently only ever recruited for very small brands that very few people have ever heard of outside of their space, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and this is really important to understand, I think, because there's a very good probability that the interaction they have with me is the only interaction they might ever have with the brand. So like as a recruiter at Senlar, people may never have another interaction with the Senlar brand again. I want that to be a positive one. It is incredibly important to me that people understand that where I recruit, I view them as an employer of choice. I think that is vitally important. Um, and so I'm always conscious of what the impact is on the things I say, on the way I treat with people. Um, you know, and the fact is, I also certainly have a tremendous amount of sympathy for the fact that job search is really hard, is tremendously frustrating, and it can do, absolutely do a number on your head. You know, uh, and I, you know, I wasn't always a recruiter. You know, I've been in the workplace now for three decades. And so, what did you start when you were ten? I mean, you're like, what's going on here? <laughs> you're like a work prodigy, like a little kid. Your parents said, all right, get to no, work, Ed. That's no, no, it. no. Um, I, I just look and behave a lot younger than, yeah. than, than my actual chronological age would suggest, that's all. Um, but it's funny because, you know, I, I spent, you know, 19 years of my career not being a recruiter. And there I was for 19 years, a frustrated job seeker. Um, and that also has given me a great deal of understanding and sympathy into the situation that job seekers often find themselves in, right? I mean, unfortunately, the hiring process is a zero sum game. But to the extent it's possible not to make it one, right? Like you have a phone screen with someone who is great, but for this specific role right now, this team, this manager, not the best fit. Mm -hmm. Now, some people may be tempted to terminate that call immediately, say, listen, this isn't the right role, and then exit and move on to the next phone screen they have scheduled, right? Um, I always try to find ways to say, okay, where else does this person make sense in the organization? What, what other leader might they be have a really good dynamic with? Um, if I've if we've already had the time blocked out, let's actually leverage that 
and do something productive with it. You know, you've you've already you've already taken the call from me, so let's not waste that. Maybe there's something productive that can still come out of it. If it's not what we originally were hoping or expecting, perhaps it's something else down the road, which I'm happy to say is something I've actually been able to do a few times. Yeah, that's really great to hear because oftentimes, you know, a person will just get a, won't even hear anything. They'll get ghosted mm-hmm. or they'll get a blow off. And yeah. to your point, as the ambassador or the representative of the company, it gives a black eye to the company where right. you feel, because I can't, I got to tell you so many times I'll hear from job seekers and candidates who, who will say, let's say I bring up ABC widget company. They'll say, I'll right. never go there because this is my experience with ABC widget company. They were so right. rude to me and they blew me off and they ghosted me. And if they're telling me that they're probably telling all their family and friends about that and then multiply Bingo. that out. And then it becomes harder for the company to hire people because you get a bad reputation in the space. Right. So like, I think it's really smart that, you know, you, you, you understand and get that and you really want to do your best to that person. I love the fact right. that you were saying, Hey, you might not be good for this job, but wait, 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 let's see. Maybe I could find something out. Maybe you have the skills right. to kind of segue into something else. And that's really nice to hear because I think for most job seekers, they're frustrated that, their interactions are like that. You know, it's like, right. nope, nope, sorry, you don't fit. You yeah. Know? And and I, I I find that I find that short-sighted. Yeah. Right. I mean, look, this person has enough qualifications for you to say, yeah, I, I want to talk with you. Right. So, okay, so sure, maybe they don't have the right things for this particular role. Okay, fine, I get that. But is the universe of people with these qualifications otherwise so big you can afford to blow off that opportunity? Right. I don't think it is in the vast majority of cases. You know, this is, yeah. it's very much, I think, a, a matter of just taking a longer term view. Right. So what are, speaking of that, what are some of the things as a recruiter who both, you know, works for a company currently, right. but then also, you know, worked you know, as an outside third-party recruiter like myself, uh, right. but then also as a job seeker, just banging around for a while. You know, right. what you know, what do you look for in candidates? You know, when they're coming in, like, what are some of the do's and don'ts for people who okay. are interviewing? You know, like big red flags, like, gosh, oh my god, don't do that. That's it's terrible. Or okay, yeah, the way you're doing it, that's perfect, spot on. So I, I love that question, Jack. Thank you. Um, Let's t- let's start with the positive stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I am aware as I say these things that there's a certain amount of privilege that comes of it, right? It, it presumes that people are neurotypical, and it's very hard mm-hmm. for neurodiverse people to try mm-hmm. to do this. I understand that. I sympathize. And it's a population that really needs more respect. Um This is also true of introverts and people who are intrinsically shy or Mm -hmm. have uh, anxiety disorder when when talking with others that they're not familiar with. That that can also be very, very challenging. What most people, I think, the, the single biggest takeaway in interviewing, I think, is have confidence, right? And this is a thing that is a very hard line for a lot of people to walk 
because you don't know if you're being self-deprecating or self-effacing versus being confident versus being arrogant, right? And that is very hard. To, if, if you are not intrinsically a confident person, and I think that the majority of us, myself included, mm -hmm. would say that of ourselves, uh, it's a hard line to walk. Um, so the solution there is do mock interviews. Do practice interviews with other people whose professional standing puts them in a place where they can competently do a, do a mock interview for you and then record it. And that's so important, so important, because you might have these ticks, these things that you do, behaviors, or things you like to say unconsciously that may not serve you well in the interview. For example, I was doing a prep session a couple of weeks ago um, with a candidate, and uh, I, he was interviewing with a, with a hiring manager that I know loves it when people get to the point, and it was frustrating when people don't. And so the, the verbal tick that he had was, well, I'd like to take my time to, and he kept saying it. Mm -hmm. And so about 10 minutes in, I said, okay, I, I, I want to draw your attention to this fact. You have on several occasions said, I will take my time too. And I don't think that is what you mean because the, what it communicates to my ear is X, that you'll be slow that you'll be, that you'll take more time than perhaps may be considered a, a, a judicious amount, right? And the phrase, I will take my time, somehow indicates a lack of urgency. And can you think of a hiring manager that wants to see that? You know, I'm so glad you brought this up, Ed, because tell, tell me what you think of this. Okay. I found over the years, is that the, it's the opposite of what people would expect. Okay. You get these people who come in, right, who are mm -hmm. brimming with confidence. And right. a lot of times it's undeserved confidence where they're coming in and they think they're the best at whatever they're doing. They're fantastic, right? They're right. the smartest and they know how to schmooze. They're very likable. They're charming. They have charisma mm -hmm. and they won't have as much or the you know, better experience than somebody else who just like you're talking about, like the person that you're referring to, who, hey, you know, giving all these verbiage is first because they're nervous, they don't know what to say, so they're buying time. Mm -hmm. And then you have that negative feel for that person, even though that person might be way better than right. the smooth talker, you know, who knows how to schmooze and know how to make this happen. So then you end up getting someone who's not as good, who'll get the job just because they're able to talk their way into it. Yep. Have you seen that? And that's a kind of oh, a yeah. weird dynamic. It's a crazy dynamic. It is. And I, you you see this in news interviews yeah. too a lot. Uh, people who are great at the schmooze, mm -hmm. right? And they're, they're business people. And then you look at what the actual impact they've had on the businesses and you're like, whoa, what? That, there's a huge disharmony there, right? Um, and so, yeah, that's absolutely a thing that happens. And so, listen, if you don't consider yourself to be one of the person, people who is great at schmoozing, uh, and you're watching this, and I know that speaks to a lot of you, the majority of you, um, don't think that the schmoozer intrinsically is going to be viewed as a stronger candidate. 
because experienced hiring managers, experienced interviewers know just because you can talk the talk doesn't mean you can walk the walk. Right. The antenna's up to be like, hmm, the BS antenna, yeah. right? It's like right. you're trying to separate which is real and which is you're just kind of, you right. know. And and let's be clear, I, I'm, I'm positive that this is the driver behind the adoption of behavior-based interviewing questions. Absolutely positive. Because mm -hmm. if you can schmooze, okay, that's one thing. Do you have the wins to back it up? Right. Right. So if they, if they come across and it's all like, you know, talk and they sound great, uh -huh. but then you start thinking, but there's no substance to it. What's right. I'm, I'm missing something. Right. Right. And then that is when an experienced interviewer says, okay, look, you, you don't have the goods, buddy. <laughs> so what would you say for somebody who, mm -hmm. I know you talked about doing a you know role-playing mock interview. Sure. Of people who may not possess the confidence in themselves. And let's okay. presume the person does have the skills and background experience. Sure. What can they do to get out of their shell, get out uh -huh. of their own head, and to be more successful in an interview? That is a, such a good question. And look, as someone who wages a daily battle against imposter syndrome myself, this is something that I struggle with sometimes too, you know? Um, I think that there's two things that, that need to happen here. Um, one, look, job seekers, this is so important that you understand that, yeah, a, a certain amount, the interview is a performance and that's okay, but it's also just a business conversation. And as long as you've been in your career, you've been having business conversations. You've been doing that all along with stakeholders, with your managers, with, with reports, for those of you who've been people managers. You've had business conversations. This is just another business conversation trying to figure out, do we want to do business together? And if we do, how? How, did that, how would that work, right? And if you approach it from that standpoint, rather than meekly being the supplicant Oh, may I please have another, right? I mean, don't, don't do that. Don't view it like that. No, you made it to the interview. They already think that you've got the skill, all right? You earn your place into that interview slot. So that's the first thing. So just, just reframe the way you think about it. Uh, and I'm such a fan of, of, the, of a good reframe. You know, uh, but the second piece of it, more exposure therapy, frankly, um, do more mock interviews, get more comfortable with the fact that, yeah, you're not going to have the ideal, perfect, right answer or response every single time. No one does. It's like a batting average, right? I mean, a, a 300 is a not bad batting average. Right. You could be an all-star. Yeah. By striking so, out, you know, more than you're getting a hit, you still could be, you know, I, a champ. Yeah. So, folks, th think about it. Put it in those contexts. Reframe. And I think that you'll find that helps reduce a lot of the anxiety that well, you when you cut in here, when you say reframe, just so sure. you know, we understand, what, what exactly do you mean by reframing in, so, in oh, this okay, context? Yeah. So I'm sorry, Jack. Yeah, um, allow me to clarify. Uh, what I mean by that is, look, we, we, we view things through a certain lens, 
right? And these are the lens that we adopt by default is the lens that we grind out of our personal experiences, our histories, our priorities. And it was a very specific thing of looking at the world. And it informs obviously what we take away from the world. And that defines how we respond to those things. Because let's be honest, our lenses will color a lot of the way we perceive what's going on around us. Um, we all have that one friend who no matter what the news is, finds a way to turn it into a problem, no matter how otherwise seemingly benign it may be. We all have that person in our lives, don't we? Mm -hmm. And that's a person who is incapable of stepping away from their lens and viewing differently. And so the reframe is about looking at it with fresh eyes, looking at it in a different way, looking, being more open to what the possibilities might be rather than seeing risks or threats. Do you think it's hard to do to separate? Because it sounds like what I see, and you probably see this often too, mm -hmm. a person is just burnt out. Yep. They've been working at a job for X amount of time. Mm -hmm. There's this, maybe it's a toxic environment. Sure. And then you want to leave and go somewhere else, but you carry that with you. So then right. when you interview... And someone sits down across from you or has a video and you could just feel like you could feel the tension, the anxiety, mm -hmm. the anger, the frustration. Right. And then tell me if this makes sense too. As an interviewer or a hiring manager, you don't want to hire that person who's coming in, who's like angry and just, just ticked off because you're like, all right, well, is it the candidate or is it the company? I don't know, but you know what? In a job market like this, where a lot of candidates, let's just go to the next one. Right. Yeah, and that is a huge risk. You're exactly right. And and I've certainly had that experience myself. And truthfully, I have earlier in my career probably been that person mm -hmm. in, in the, more than once, you know. Um, and so there's a couple of things here that I would say. Uh, number one, just because you've had a bad experience it does not intrinsically mean that every future experience will also be negative. That's the first thing, right? Um, a lot of the time when people come out of, let's say, let's talk about the toxic environment for a bit, mm -hmm. right? The toxic environment is because of the team, so oftentimes the manager, but not exclusively or not even, all, or not even always, right? Um, maybe it was a toxic colleague and certainly I'm sure we've all had one of those, um, who just finds a way to suck the joy out of everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's a thing that happens, of course, sure. And so I think one of the most important things that job seekers can do, quite honestly, uh, if you've been separated from your employer, and even if it was voluntary, but especially if it's involuntary, um, take that first week to do a little bit of healing. Take that first week to get your head right. Remember all the things that you actually enjoy, whatever those things may be, and enjoy them. Try to rediscover that, that spark. Rediscover that thing that makes you say, man, this has been a good day. Rediscover that. Because I think it's very hard to take a lot of that kind of negative emotion into 
into an interview once you're back, back in touch with the things that actually make you happy. I love that advice. That's, that's fantastic, Ed. Can, can, to you. piggyback on that, sure. I find oftentimes when people interview, they don't come in and be their genuine and authentic self. They feel right. this, and you alluded to this before. It's like, oh, can I have another one? You know, they come in right. instead of advocating for themselves. It's like, yes, no. You, you become this robotic version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And then the recruiter or the hiring manager or the interviewer just doesn't get a vibe for who you are. So right. it's easy to pass and go on to the next person. Is, it, is that a challenge too, do you notice? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think it, I think that it depends on the skill sets and levels of seniority you're talking about, right? Um, but absolutely uh, is a thing I've encountered. And I think what's happening here uh, is, is a lot of, okay, I'm going to game plan this. If I say things that are factually verifiable, right? the likelihood of my committing an error is much lower. Therefore, from a process optimization standpoint, I will give as little as possible that is not factually verifiable. The problem is that factually verifiable answers, we have Wikipedia for that. That is not helpful because part of what the interview meant, process is meant to do is get a feel for how do you think? What is your level of analytical skill? There's a value add that you're expected to offer in an interview, which is, well, here's a thing that happened. Here is what my solution or response was. Oh, and by the way, here are the results. And here's the metric that that speaks to those results, right? My star story that, that can go to that. Um, and I think that's happening a lot. Um, don't, don't just give, don't just recite the textbook to me. That's boring. I got the textbook too. I can find it. You know, that's not helpful. There's no value add there. And that's what I people, I think people really want on the other side of the desk in the interview. They want the value add. What is your insight? There's a reason I'm interviewing you, not Bill, right? Now, Ed, on related to this, do you think job seekers are disadvantaged at times because they don't understand the role of a recruiter and they oh, don't yeah. know that there's recruiters who just focus on executive search, just staffing, maybe part-time gig contract workers, sure, um, con contingency-based recruiters, and then recruiters like myself who just fo focus in kind of a couple of very specific niches. And then I think it leads to that not really understanding how it works. It yeah. leads to just frustration and the distrust. So do you think, would you mind maybe sharing with the audience you know, the different, you know, just a little bit about the different types of recruiters? Sure. So, so then the light bulb goes on and goes, oh, I'm not getting blown up. It's just that, like, for instance, with myself, oh, you know, the person's a software engineer, but I don't know really much about it. I don't have any contacts, so I can't help. I'm not being a jerk. I just don't, right. I wouldn't know where to go, what to do. So can you maybe give some color how of this course. works? Because I think most people will be benefit from like, oh, now I understand how this is. Okay. So yeah, that that's a fabulous, fabulous question, Jack. Uh, I'm really glad that you asked. So um, most job seekers are probably not aware 
that recruiters typically have areas of specialization, right? Um, <clears throat> whether we're external recruiters or internal recruiters, I mean, that's kind of the broad division. And of course, each has their own respective, you know, uh, specializations therein. Um, we, we tend to focus on and specialize in certain areas. For example, I do technical recruiting, yes. Um, part of what I do in my LinkedIn profile is I explain what kind of technologies I recruit for. Uh, I, and I need to elaborate on that a little more clearly. But, you know, and I, I talk about what kind of employer I recruit for. But tell me if this sounds familiar, Jack. You get a LinkedIn message from somebody and says, I'm looking for a job doing X. Can you help me? Can you help, right? And X has nothing to do with your universe, nothing. And this is like, what, 75, 80% of the outreach that you receive, I'm betting. Happens all the time, especially if you post a job and then you get the resumes. Yep. And uh, let's say I post something on LinkedIn, you can get 100 resumes, no exaggeration. Maybe five are okay. What I mean by okay, they're worth saving. Maybe uh -huh. two, uh, you know, maybe they could be good for the job. And that's also on a side note, I don't mean to deviate from what we're talking about, for people who go and see whether it's LinkedIn or other platforms, how many people apply and then feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to bother because it says on the you know top right, wherever 300 oh, yeah. people applied and they just throw up their hands, oh, I'm not going to bother. But bother because right. all... Just as we were talking about, the vast majority, they're just shooting their shot. It doesn't mean yeah. they're the right person for it. So, right. so go for it. Yeah. And, and I mean, that is, that is, of course, one of my frustrations. Um, I, I posted a job a week ago, Monday. Now, I'm looking for a data scientist. It is fully remote. I have literally i think i'm not i don't think i'm exaggerating when i say i have the vast majority of the class of 23 from master's <laughs> programs applying to this position mm -hmm. who studied you know data science in their master's program mm -hmm. it's insane um and then i've got one guy who's like bonkers qualified hold a doctorate has like you know 20 plus years of experience in the space like Folks, the level of competition is very high. It is very, very high right now. Um, I get that you want to shoot your shot, but come on, what's the ROI on that, folks? Um, if you're, and, and this is different from for, for certain employers, right? I mean, for certain employers, those qualifications, that's a hard line. Now, I, I push back every time I encounter something that's got that calls for like a four-year degree, because let's be honest, the vast majority of the time that someone throws it on there, mm -hmm. it's artificial and arbitrary and has and adds no value. Um, and I know saying that that means I'm complicating my life a little bit, you know. But at the same time, you know, what what it's about the work experience. The more of it you have, that's relevant. Great. I want to talk with you. Do I think that maybe you might be outside of my budget? Sure, probably. But you know what? I'm going to give you the option to tell me that you're outside of my budget. I want to have that conversation, give you that chance to tell me you're outside of my budget. But, you know, I'll, I'll get 
for a while, I was getting a string of messages from folks uh, from overseas who were supply chain professionals. Now, I recruit for a bank. I have absolutely, we have as an enterprise, have absolutely no interest in supply chain professionals. There's literally nothing for them to do for us. And this is part of why my LinkedIn profile is written the way that it is. It says, I recruit for this. You looked at my profile long enough to send me an invitation. Could you have looked a little bit farther and seen that this makes no sense? See, it's so I confusing. I like that you're being very balanced because earlier in the conversation, you know, you referenced that if somebody, let's say I'm sending over a resume and I'm not the right fit, you'd say, Jack, let me see if your skills apply elsewhere and I'll try. Oh. But then also you're saying, hey, Bella, if you're sending over a resume for supply chain, you know, for machine parts, and mm -hmm. I'm a bank, like, what are you doing? Come on, you're gumming up the works. So multiply that out by hundreds, if not thousands of others, then the internal recruiter, HR, talent acquisition, they're just overloaded with data. Overloaded. We, so it just it just harms the whole system. So, but I like that you're balanced because on one end, you're like, hey, I'll be open, try to help you best I can. The other side is say, hey, come on, guys. If you're doing I, it, you're not helping yourself and you're just making more work for the other people. Right. And then they can't get to the resumes. That's maybe what takes so long. Yeah. Um, and honestly, this is this is probably the driver of a lot of 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 a lot of complaints about being ghosted, Frank, in, in my in, in my belief, I think that is very much a thing that is happening to people because they don't understand why people can't get back to them. They, I don't think they understand the sheer volume of yeah. stuff. You know, I mean, right now, I'm sitting on 50 different invitations to connect thereabouts. Um, that is extremely unusual for me. I usually whittle them down on a weekly basis and for a couple of reasons that uh, I just haven't been able to get to it. Um, but a lot of them are people I know I'm going to have to decline because, you know, the, it doesn't make sense. I'm very judicious about who, who I admit to my network, um, you know, things of that kind. And I'm sure that several of those people are going to say, man, I sent this guy a LinkedIn invitation to connect like two weeks ago and he, he, he's ignored it, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm sure that happens too. But it, again, it's not volume. That's a that's a killer. See, that's the big problem. I mean, there there's times when someone's ghosted, which is so rude. Where you yep. know you interview, they let's say they go not to your place, but just whatever right. you know entity, and they ask you to go through three, four, five, six interviews, seven interviews. And I'm not exaggerating. Like, right. if you're a mid level or senior person, you could easily go meet ten people over six months, but then you get ghosted that right. to me is it's almost criminal. <laughs> like I, you like, oh, you like stole their time, energy, mm -hmm. effort, and then they're left depleted to me. That's just, just, just so wrong to do. Now they could have went through the whole interview process. And then unfortunately they found a better candidate. They found an internal person, whatever. Okay. But at least respect the fact that the person right. put in all that effort and let them know what happened. And yeah. More often than not lately, they don't. And I and I wonder, Ed, what do you think? I think maybe because we're a more litigious society so that people don't want to say anything because if you say anything, it may be misconstrued that maybe there's a bias or prejudice or what have you, so they don't say anything. 
So it just becomes a really toxic, weird situation. Yeah. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, the more time someone interviews with my firm, the more I'm going to give them a personal call mm -hmm. and give them the news if, if they're unsuccessful, ultimately. I feel like I owe that to them. I believe it's more personal than an email. And I do believe in that personal touch. Now, I know that not everyone wants to get that call, but part of the reason I make it a call rather than an email is because I know that in, if I make it a voice call, it is much harder for me to say something that is potentially misconstruable. Mm -hmm. Now, how is it when you make those calls, are people genuinely you know, respectful and appreciated, or did they start pushing back and say, oh, you know, wait, Ed, no, wait, you missed this on my resume. And wait, what about this talent I have? How, how do those calls go? Typically, because of the way I frame it for them, mm -hmm. I, I, I explain to them that, listen, that ultimately there was someone else that we, that they're moving forward, that they feel is an even closer fit. And I th that phrasing is key even closer fit it doesn't say that this person is not a close fit right and that's important because they would not have made it through x number of rounds of interviews if they were not already a close fit right i would not have presented the resume to my hiring manager if i if i if that weren't the case um so those things being said uh the vast majority of the time people are because I present it that way, people say, okay, I understand. I respect that decision. I appreciate you giving me that closure. Um, and I usually end it with, listen, I really do hope that you will consider us for future opportunities to continue your career. Um, and so when I can get to that place, that's good. And this is character, this would, describe probably 95% of those kinds of calls. And then there's that other 5%. Because there's that's always that other 5%, yeah. right? Um, and some, some people, most people are at least very diplomatic about it, right? Well, I don't feel that I was given, uh, I don't think that I was given due opportunity to demonstrate my strengths or suitability for the role. And sometimes they, they, they just want to relitigate the entire process. And that's exhausting. And usually I need to interrupt them somewhere in the, in the minute of a five minute monologue and say to them, listen, I understand this is frustrating and not what you wanted to hear, but I'm also telling you that decision has already been made. Now, if you want to keep talking, Okay, that's great, but understand that this is not going to impact a decision that has already been made. You know, again, it goes back to my early training. People want to be heard. And what, someone who's interviewed like three, four, or five times doesn't deserve to be heard? Of course they do. Of course they do. Because I might still want that person for another opportunity down the road. And I want to leave that conversation with them feeling like they would want to consider it if the opportunity arose. It'd be great if everyone did that. It would, uh, I think it would help out 
an awful lot of job seekers to get some clarity and get some closure, yeah. which they don't have. So I'd love if, if this could be magnified and, and more people will hear that because they deserve it. I mean, they deserve yeah. it. They're putting the time and effort and energy in it. What, the very least, you know, some sort of feedback or constructive criticism. Right. When I first started recruiting, I don't know if this was happening with you as well, is that I would, let's say I was representing you as a candidate. Right. The, the hiring manager, and a lot of times you could go right to the hiring manager, which made it easy. They would say, okay, you know, Ed, you're meeting with Gene and Bob. Let me tell you about Jay and let me tell you about Bob. And then you get right. all the inside stuff. So much so they might say what sports teams they root for, where they went to college, where they, whatever. Mm -hmm. So this way you have a good idea. Then after the first interview, we regroup and they would say, okay, you know, Ed did really well with this, that, the other thing, but he really needs for the next meeting to do boom, 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 boom. Right. And so then you know for that next meeting what I have to do. So the process throughout the whole time was offering feedback, constructive criticism, mm -hmm. guidance. So by the time it was done, both sides really understood each other. Right. So even if you didn't get the job, you kind of knew this whole time what was going on and they were helping. Right. Unfortunately, it's just it's not like that anymore. You don't you sometimes you get it, but not to the extent it used to. And that's mm -hmm. what I think one of the things that lead to all these things where, where you see people so angry and fuming about the whole process because sure. they just feel I'm in the dark. You know, someone like Ed didn't call me and walk me through it and be patient and explain how this all played out, even though you mm -hmm. didn't get the job, at least you have some knowledge about it. So that's, that's something that's, I would love to see adopted, but really quickly, would you mind mm -hmm. if you just hit just touch on the different types of recruits? Because that's what I think sure. also confuse people and get yeah. people annoyed because yeah. they're going after a recruiter that doesn't isn't the right fit. Yeah. So let's let's and I know that we kind of were supposed to talk about it about ten minutes the, ago. <laughs> and then we'll get the ATS right after this. Okay. So broadly speaking, the way I always characterize it, there's internal recruiters and there's external recruiters, and there are many subdivisions therein among those two very broad, broad characterizations. The internal recruiter is a corporate recruiter, also usually part of HR, but not always. And the corporate recruiter uh, is responsible for hiring only for their organization. That is all that they hire for. They usually will have an area specializ specialization from within that too. So part of it is usually going to be industry driven based on the employer in question. Some it's going to be skill set driven based on you know, whatever the hiring needs are that they are skilled in doing or able to do at least, since every recruiter knows that they have been asked to recruit things that are not within their wheelhouse. Um, and so that, that's kind of important. And I think that recruiters would do well to brand what they recruit for on their profiles. That will probably help, help them eliminate a lot of the outreach they get that is mistargeted, you know? Um, and of course, an agency or external recruiters typically work for a recruiting agency. It could be an RPO or any number of other similar sorts of organizations uh, whose basic model is, hey, we have a business and we have clients for whom we're going to recruit. And we have a trusted relationship with them. And we're going to 
present the clients, uh, candidates to the client when they engage us for this. And this is, and we will make co a commission based on being successful in doing so. So, you know, in classic capitalism fashion, if you are really good at doing this, you're going to make money. Makes a lot of sense, you know? Uh, and I think that external recruiting is, the thing that people don't understand about external recruiting is that typically the pace is much faster than in internal recruiting, right? Like, I, I'm sure you remember your early days in, in the agency world where, you know, you had two, maybe three days to present your slate of three, of three candidates, right? Your, your top, mid, and, and, and entry-level versions. Um, and that's certainly the way that I was trained uh, back, back in the day. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it, external recruiters work on a very different timescale than internal recruiters do. And I think it's really important for job seekers to understand this. And to just to piggyback on it, what happens is, you know, uh, uh, let's say contingency recruiter, contingency means basically you only get paid a commission if you place that person, the person stays for a certain amount of time, right. usually it's kind of about three months or so. So there's a financial incentive for a recruiter to place you because they're going to make a fat commission on it and you're going to get, you know, you're going to get that job. So they're the interests align together to make it happen. But the challenge, I think what happens for a lot of people is that recruiters tend to focus on very niche areas, not all of them, but a lot of them. True. And so that if let's say you don't fit that recruiter's niche, that recruiter probably would be thanks. No, thanks. I can't help you. And the person might feel they're getting blown off, but they're not really blown off because the person's being honest. Like I can't really help you. You know, right. I don't really know that space. I can't do it. Um, and I think recruiters need to do a better job of articulating that and say, hey, I'm not ignoring you or ghosting you or blowing you off. It's just, let's say myself, I place on Wall Street compliance, legal risk, audit, anti-money laundering, and so forth. Right. If I had to like place somebody, someone asked me, can you help me? I'm a, I'm a designer. I'm a creative type. Right. I, I have no clue what to do. I, you know, you can right. put a gun to my head. I wouldn't know where, who to go to, what's good, what's not sure. good. So. I, you, you, when you're looking to deal with a recruiter, I would suggest you find somebody who specializes in your area so they know your space, they know what you do, they know the type of jobs, they know the, the hiring managers, they know the HR people, they know the culture. So that helps out a lot. Then also you have like staffing, which is more temp, contract, what have you. Um, and then you have the executive level, executive search, which usually is like C-suite. So when you're speaking and looking for a recruiter, you've got to want to find where do you fit in? You know, if you're looking for a gig, a contract, what have you, go for one type of recruiter. If you're looking for somebody, you know, for let's say mid-level, mid to senior level, you might want to find that contingency who specializes. And if you're a C-suite, you're going to look for a different type as well. And that might help you out so you don't feel as if like, why am I getting the cold shoulder? And then a lot of times if people, it feels like you're getting blown off, it's because it's, and this is, it's going to sound crass, but it's a eat what you kill kind of environment. So like you only get paid if you play somebody. So you don't have the time as Ed was saying, it's a fast paced thing. So if you, every person who you're dealing with, who doesn't really fit what you're doing, you know, a designer person, a creator person, a software person who doesn't fit, you're losing out to your competition who is focused on right. it. So they're not being jerks. They're just being like, Hey, 
I can't, because if I would deal with every single person, I can't help you anyway. And it's taken away from me finding that right person. So right. that might be one of those aha moments for people, you know, watching, you know, Ed and I, like, oh, that's what's that's happening. That's why that recruiter couldn't help me because they don't know anything about my my space. They can't help. Right. I mean, you know, look, we're we're both Jersey guys, right? Mm -hmm. And what is, what is our biggest biggest industry mm -hmm. in our entire state? It, it, it's pharma, right? And and I don't know anything about pharma. That's it, like I don't either. And more <laughs> importantly, I couldn't tell you somebody there. I have no idea. Right. Really. right. Yeah. Um, uh, I know I've picked up a little bit about pharma because mm -hmm. I've spoken with other recruiters who are mm -hmm. in that space. And yeah. the thing I've learned is that pharma, if if you haven't already been there, the likelihood of you getting in is extremely small. You know, um, like. And and yeah, I'll get messages from people who are in pharma, and I'm like, listen, man, I I don't know a blessed thing about your industry. You're a ten year uh, validation expert. I don't know from validation. I don't know what that means. I don't know how to present you to anyone. And heavens, I I, I the best I can do is refer you to someone who does recruit for that in that industry who knows exactly what you do, knows exactly what your value is, and is best positioned to present you to a hiring manager or client that that can make that work. And that's what I try to do as well. I think that's great to say, hey, I'm you know, not familiar with that industry. However, I'll do my best to see if I could find a recruiter who does specialize in that mm -hmm. space and you know, try to make an introduction to help you out. All right, now Ed, you ready? What are, I am. Let's talk about the ATS because I know that's oh, something do. that you're really excited to talk about, and you're an expert oh, in. Yeah. And, and that's another thing, in addition to trying to for people to figure out what the heck do recruiters do, you know, now like what the heck is going on with ATSs? Okay. So maybe you can sure. make it super simple and easy for people. Is it yep. the, is it like evil robots or just this is just what it is? So. It is not an evil robot. It is not the coming of Skynet, uh, for those of you familiar with the Terminator franchise. Uh, it is not the coming of the Matrix, all right? So let's let's stop. If you're thinking about it in those terms, please stop. That's not a thing. An ATS is ultimately a glorified database and contact management system. That's what an ATS is. It stores data. It allows people to send messages through the system. African tracking systems do that. They don't select people. They don't re typically reject people. When you get rejected from an African tracking system, it's, usually, it's almost always because an actual person said, no, this person doesn't make sense for this. Okay, um, That is absolutely critical to understand. The, AT, the recruiter identifies who to talk to, who not to talk to. That's all. It's very simple. So why is there so much angst attached to it, do you think? I think this is, I think this is actually the confluence of two different things when it happens, Jack. Um, so uh, <laughs> I was just talking with someone else about this very thing last night. So there's two things going on here. Number one, 
the universe of people who are in a position to speak knowledgeably about African tracking systems is extremely small because that universe includes either the ATS publishers themselves, right? And their software firms and their business model is talking to businesses to buy the software and then the upgrades and extra stuff, right? <clears throat> are they interested in talking to job seekers directly? Not especially because there's almost no ROI in it for them. So who does that leave? The recruiters, the people that actually use the software. Now, look, there's literally hundreds of ATSs out there. And broadly, they can be divided by the stuff that is meant for external recruiting and internal recruiting. Uh, and the, when I was doing external recruiting, I helped introduce an ATS into that system because they had never done had one before. And it was great. It, it worked fantastically. It did stuff like track to who the people were on billing and how long that their engagements were going to run and sent us reminders when, uh, the, when the engagement was due to, due to end soon. So we could reach out to the client and say, hey, how is things going with so-and-so? Is everything still going well? Or did you perhaps want to extend this person? Right? Um, and of course, that's a whole feature set that a corporate or internal recruiter doesn't care about, but it's awfully handy if you're external. Um, oh, or this person or this person's been on billing, we have reached the threshold whereby they we can now present them with the invoice, right? And that's awfully handy if you have someone else, if you have the system tell you this stuff. But all those that store the, store the job description, it stores the application. It stores a resume when you present one. Kind of, that's it. Well, I appreciate that. that's that's you know really helpful. And I think sometimes, you know, you want a boogeyman to blame everything on. You, you know, oh. all the misfortunes, all the evilness, all the bad stuff. So it's easily you know to point to figure it's because of this. Well, you know, whether it's the recruiter or the ATS, what have you. Yeah. And this is why I thought this would be a great conversation. Sure. You know, and I wanted to invite you to chat because. This way, we're able to dispel some of these myths. Exactly. So that people could get a better understanding about like, oh, okay, this is how it works. And you have a very calm demeanor. You're able to just you know, walk it through step by step, you know, how the, whether the recruiting side of things and the ATS, which I think a lot of people need to hear, you know, for the ones watching today. But then as we reshare this video again and again, I think that's going to help a lot of folks who are just confused by how it works. And we're, you know, and I really appreciate you shedding light on how it is and really just breaking it down so that it's, it's also, it's not as complex. I would, I think both you and I would love to say how, what we do for a living is so complex and so sophisticated and we have to be such geniuses, but the reality is not really. Yeah. So, <laughs> so all it takes is someone like yourself to walk it through. And I really, I really appreciate, cause I know you're very busy and, and, you know, taking the time out of your day to, to share your wisdom and your knowledge with everybody. So I, I really appreciate you coming on here. And before we end, any last minute that maybe I didn't ask you about that you just like to bring up? Uh, no, but I do want to come back to something because sure. I said there were two things happening with, with where all this anxiety and nausea about, yeah. about the ATS is coming from. I think the, the other piece of it is people who propagate the information that is incorrect. Um, look, there's plenty of really well-intentioned people 
who want to help job seekers and they want to share the information they feel is going to be valuable to them. Unfortunately, sometimes that includes information that they are not in a position to vet, but they took it from a source that they do trust, right? And that's absolutely one thing that happens. The second thing that happens is that there are people either out of, um, who are just theorizing, right? Because it's an attractive boogeyman, as you say. But there's also people, I think, who are just bad actors, and they're going to try to whip up this fear and uncertainty and doubt regarding the ATS because, hey, by the way, my resume template is ATS compliant, and if you buy it, you can beat the ATS. Oh, I got you. So, so there's a financial interest yep. in some people to say, oh, it's terrible, but guess what? I'm here to save you. Exactly. <laughs> I got you. Okay. So, but absent that, I don't think so, Jack. Uh, it's, it, it, as always, it's a great pleasure to talk with you. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Ed. This was great. Well, I hope, I hope everybody, you know, appreciate all this knowledge that Ed shared. And um, thank you so much, my friend. My pleasure. Absolutely, Jack. Thank right. you. Take care. Bye-bye. You too.